0: Sorry about the noise, my neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto, don't work on your deck, play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck, low maintenance with a 25 year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.
1: From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
2: It's four past nine on your Friday morning here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in the chair for Smithy as he is in Australia, calling the Chapel Hadley series. More on that later, of course. Brian May there from Queen, playing God Save the Queen from top of Buckingham Palace from a little while ago. Seems an appropriate way to start the show. If you've just tuned in you haven't heard the news yet, Queen Elizabeth II has passed away this morning at the age of 96. Coming up on the show, Ben Ransom from Sky Sports in the UK is going to join us after 9.30. How is this impacting Britain? How is it impacting him? And what does it mean for sport? I know that the second day of the test between South Africa and England, uh, which is due to get underway tonight, New Zealand time, has been postponed what else might we see? Uh, ben is going to come on and talk to us about that around 9.30. Also coming up after 10 o'clock, uh, we are going to be talking NRL. Of course, it is NRL finals time. Nick Campton, NRL writer for ABC Sport, is going to join us. We do have a panel today with Sam Ackerman and Gerard Cronin as well. We'll be talking about those black caps, about the NRL the NFL starting that kicks off today and remembering the great Willie Lose as well, a fantastic broadcaster and friend of a lot of people in sport in New Zealand. Mark the Hammer Tim's a city kickboxing kickboxer, he competes in King in the Ring tonight in Auckland. We'll get his take on his fight, his opponent, and the rest of the card as well. We'll talk some Greyhounds with uh, Rob Roper, who's a Greyhound trainer out of Auckland. Greg O'Connor's going to join us to talk uh, some trots as well. And Brad Webber isn't too far away to talk about the Shield Challenge taking place in the Bay this weekend. What an unbelievable loss. Over these past years, our source of hope, wonder, enjoyment, and nationhood has slowly slipped away. Where once we felt on top of the world, it now feels like that world has changed. I'm talking, of course, about the once mighty Black Caps. Twice this week, we have had Australia at our mercy 44 for 5 and 54 for 5. And twice we've failed to finish the job. What is it about the mental block our cricketers have with Australia? Coming into this series, we were ranked number one in the world, and they were fifth. This isn't that great Australian side of Ponting, Warren and McGrath, and it hasn't been that side for some time. I mean, Zimbabwe beat them, like last week. It seems, watching from the sidelines, that we have the same issue with the Australian cricket team that a lot of nations have had when playing the All Blacks over the years. That air of invincibility that used to give the All Blacks a 10 to 15 point start in every test? It's not there anymore, but it used to be. You know what I'm talking about. This isn't a new problem. We haven't beaten Australia on their patch since 2009. So it's not just this group of players or this coach. But the question for Gary Stead is how does he get this team over that hurdle? We've got two World Cups in the next 12 months and you know if we want to win them, we'll have to play Australia at some point. I'd say Gilbert and Oka's phone might be running hot today.
1: You real your when you must steal.
0: I'm your pay-
2: Nine past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy. He is, of course, calling that Chapel Hadley series over in Australia and uh, probably has his head buried in the sand about now. He will be will have been hating sitting there with Mark War last night, having to call that match. So let's turn our attention to something far more positive. Uh, let's talk some rugby uh, with Brad Webber out of the Hawks Bay. G'day, Brad. How are you? Yeah, g'day, mate. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. That's the story, mate. You'd be great. glad you're not a black cap right about now, I would imagine. Yeah,
3: I um, I went to bed after the uh, after the first innings, thinking, oh yeah, we'll we'll be right here, and then woke up and saw the result, not
2: great. No, not great at all. I don't know if you caught the uh, uh, the Ricardo reckons I just did, but you know that you've been part of All Black sides that have that that you know uh, invincibility factor, and teams run out and they fear you, and you kind of almost have a ten to fifteen point lead in their head uh, before you start. It feels like that's where New Zealand cricket's at when it comes to to, to playing the Aussies, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, all look Othie seem to have it over us at the moment. I mean, geez, I, I can't really talk too much about cricket because I'm no expert, mate. i <laughs> will just, just be another talkback caller, I think. <laughs>
2: all good, mate, all good. Hey, we, we should talk about the Shield, though, because uh, it's on the line again this weekend. You've had a had a busy old season. You've had some really tight calls in the Shield this year. Counties pushed you. Harbour of pushed you as well. Even Mid-Canterbury, and, uh, you know, sort of uh, um, earlier on uh, really pushed you. Um, and you've got Southland visiting this weekend. How, how are the boys feeling about this one?
3: No yeah well, I think the thing about the shield, especially for the challenges, it seems to bring the best out of the challenges, you know so we have always got a there's clearly a target um for teams coming up here, so yeah um southland will be no different I've had a couple of they haven't won um won much, but a lot of their games have been really close, and uh we only need to look back a couple of years ago where we went down to southland so um yeah look we'll, we we love playing at home though the crowd's great and um hopefully get stuck into them but we certainly know that Southland will be um, throwing everything into it, and those uh, those battlers down there—they seem to do do a right with the shield over the last sort of ten, fifteen years, haven't they? Well,
2: I, I do remember a very, very grumpy Corey Flynn having to hand Jason Rutledge the shield a few years ago.
3: Yeah, yeah and we had um, uh, waffer Jamie McIntosh up with us at the Chiefs for a couple of years, and the way he talked about that those few days after they beat Canterbury that that day was just like what, some of the great. Uh, Great moments of his life. So yeah, I heard all about that one.
2: <laughs> Don't want to be on the end of it, mate. I mean, for you guys, no. You know, like you know, you know that when a team comes to town, they're going to have another ten percent because of the shield, right? So how do you guys get up for it every time you're playing at home?
3: Uh, something I've been really impressed with, because, like this, this is the first uh, first year that I've I've personally had to defend the shield. Like mm. boys have had it for the last couple of years, but I haven't been able to play much and. Um, I've been really impressed with their mindset around. It's not them. The team doesn't try and go out and just defend it and just play conservatively. They they see it as they're challenging it as well. They're trying to win it every time. So that's been a, a real shift of mindset. I think that that certainly helped helped us play a bit with a bit more free will. Play that magpie style of footy. We get, throw it around and um, go out there and try and win it every every week. So yeah, I think that certainly helps.
2: I mean, and the other thing I, I suppose that you can't forget is you, you're also battling for Bunnings NPC points, right? It's not just about the um, it's not just about the shield.
3: No, that's right, and um, I know how much the boys here were hurting last year after losing that semi final to Tasman, so we're all pretty keen to um, to go the whole way because Hawks Bay, I don't think, has ever won the uh, the NPC before, so it'd be pretty awesome to be a part of the first team down here that could ever do that. I mean, the Magpies are the biggest team in town around here around Hawks Bay. There's no no local super rugby team that plays here every week, so, you know, the Magpies are it for, for the community and we're we're very blessed with our um our support down here, man. Like it's uh for in terms of M P C quality, like we get good numbers every week, so it'd be great to do it for them.
2: Yeah, indeed. I mean, you, you currently sit second uh, in the odds conference, um, just behind Waikato, who you've you've drawn with earlier in the season. Uh, you got Wellington uh, pretty close behind you as well. They've been a bit up and down. How, how are you feeling about um, the, the new format and uh, where you're sitting, uh, you know, sort of around halfway through the round robin?
3: Yeah, I think it's great. I think having the one competition giving... Um, everybody a chance at, at the this, this big title every year is probably the way to go. Um, we obviously saw it, obviously stemmed from Taranaki last year. But I mean, Hawke's Bay had a couple of good teams when we were in the championship and couldn't contend for the for the top gong. So I think it's the it's the right move. Um, and yeah, look, it's to it's been a pretty tight comp so far. I mean, yeah, we're sitting second, but like you say, there's a couple of teams below us that are really nipping at our heels. but Plenty as well, um, Otago have been going alright. So. Um yeah, it doesn't seem like there's any easy wins like there probably used to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, we, and we've got a, a relatively tough run home as well with uh, Wellington, Bay of Plenty and, and Tasman after Southland. So, you yep. are yeah, going to
2: have to be on. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, that, that Bay of Plenty, that Bay of Plenty game, of the, the, the title of the Bay is on the line. That's, that's always big mm. every year for you guys too, right?
3: Yeah, it is. And uh, especially, uh, honestly, I hear it, from Clayton Mcmillan every year when Bas plenty beat us, so i I love giving it back when when we've got it, so you know i've got, I've got nine months' worth of uh, correcting him when he's saying when he's talking about how plenty as they'll be, and I think we've got the title at the moment, so. I'll revel in that for a little while longer and then hopefully
2: get it back. Yeah, fingers crossed for you, mate. Fingers crossed I I lived in the Bay of Plenty for a while in the mid nineties and ended up being like ground announcer for a few of their rugby games. So New Clayton from those days. It's always uh it was it was yeah. something as somebody born and bred in Auckland, I was like, What what's going on here? What's this about? It took me a while to cotton on, but man, it's it's almost as big as the shield.
3: It it actually is a big thing now, yeah, you're right. And I mean or Two are our big rivals but I think Bay of Plenty nowadays are like right up there. And I guess, yeah, like I was sort of saying, especially because being at the Chiefs, not too many Magpies boys with me, but there are a lot of Bay F Plenty boys Mm. around. So, you know, bragging rights for nine months of the year is pretty sweet
2: for, for this little hooks Bay man. Yeah, mate, you'd be loving it, mate. You'd be loving it. Um, now, Southland, you mentioned them. Uh, they played five, lost five. But if you work out the average, uh, you know, they're four and against. They've only lost each game by an average of about eight points. So they're always mm. there and thereabouts. They're a, hard team to, they're a hard team to put away. They just kind of st- hang in there.
3: Yeah, they do. They're, um, they kind of live off the sort of battle mindset where they just kind of stay in it. And lead led pretty well with um, some old heads like Marty Banks and um, Robert Robinson. It was pretty cool to see them trotting around there but yeah I I, I was sort of saying like Southland for us have always been a team that we've often struggled against the last few years so um, yeah we expect that uh, once again and yeah man like their their results don't I think uh, truly reflect the sort of team that they are
2: Hawke's Bay's a real nursery for, for rugby talent, man. We see so many players and coaches come out of there uh, and it obviously leads to a little bit of turnover. I know, you know, I mean, you lost Ash Dixon the other year and you lost Mark, your coach as well. you got Josh in charge now. How's that transition been?
3: Um, well, Oz and um, Josh were honestly, they're like two two toddlers like tight at the hip. So <laughs> it's been pretty seamless. Like Simsy's just, he's the same old Simsy. People that know him, he's a He's um, he's a bit all over the show, good, like, he, but he's a character and um, the boys love him, But love, love playing for him. So it's, it's been a pretty seamless transition in, in that regard. And, um, yeah, like you say, we obviously lost Ash Dixon, which is a huge loss, but geez, there's some pretty good young hookers here, obviously Tyrone Thompson and Keanu Kiriru-Symes and then even Jacob Devery's out injured for this year. So the hooking stocks around here look pretty bright for the future, but, um Yeah. Tough to replace so the
2: old old dog, well, What about uh, some of the uh, some of the young guys you got running around there that have now got a year of Super Rugby under their belts? Guys like Lincoln and Eddie and Arty, um, who were at Moana this year. How much of have you seen an improvement in their game from having one year in that Super Rugby environment?
3: Well, it, it always impressed me. I mean, he's he, he, he spent a lot of time down at Canterbury and the Crusaders, so he, he's pretty good in terms of professionalism and. Um, yeah, he's he's always he was always sort of built for Super Rugby, so I haven't been too surprised with with his progress. He's he's pretty good, and then Lincoln, I, I think everybody could you could clearly see that he's Super Rugby quality and has been for a number number of years, but hasn't been given the opportunity. I've even been trying to get him up at the Chiefs for a few years, but we've got so many buddy teams up there, that there's no room for him. So um, yeah, look, it's great to see a guy like him, especially um, get a get a good run at professional rugby because. You've got such, like, when you're, compared to playing club, like, you've just got such competitive advantage over all the club players by being a professional rugby player all year round. And I think, like, he's just shown that he's come back and, and great knack and, and he's always had the the mental ability. His, his leadership around the field has been um, fantastic. So I can only see him getting even better from here, and he's been, he's been pretty good for us the first five weeks, so... Yep, I think C Rugby's done him the world of
2: good. Good stuff, Brad. Hey, listen, I've got one last question for you before we let you go, mate. I, mm. we've had a long time listener, first time texter Jamie Wall send through a message. Um yeah. can you please ask Brad about the under eighty five kilo national competition, please?
3: Oh yes. I'm a mate, I'm a huge, huge advocate for the under eighty fives, great. I I watched that final on the uh, on the weekend, I thought it was brilliant. Um it's a grade that I think we need to be putting more and more effort and uh, emphasis on because I see like a lot of guys out of school don't really want to go and play Premier Rugby cause, or even Prem 2s because you, you know, like, guys our size tackling 120-kilo people every week isn't that much fun if you're not real serious about it and you prefer the social side, which is the part of the game that I think we need to grow. And under 85s is the perfect bridge between that. It gives... It's obviously, it keeps a lot of people in rugby itself. Guys won't be dropping out. I've seen the social side. Um, a couple of my mates play up in the Auckland competition and they just love the social side of it, which is great, um, which is what I think club rugby's all about. And yeah, I just, when we're losing so many guys, so many players um, that are dropping out of rugby altogether, I just think under eighty five just seems like a no-brainer to be putting more time and effort in. And um, I certainly can't wait to, I've actually tried to play a couple of games before, but um, uh, I tried to play this game up in Auckland a couple of years ago. I tried to get um, released from our uh, from Hawke's Bay, and the Hawke's Bay CEO said, nah, <laughs> if, if, if you get, if you get injured playing under eighty-five, I will lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't play, unfortunately, but, um, I'd love, but I'm looking forward to when I stop playing professional rugby, if, I, if I'm going to stay in the game... And, keep ticking away I think I'll go play under
2: 85s. yeah well here's the question then I mean obviously playing the professional game you don't really have much choice of what position you play you're going to play halfback because of your size yeah. but at under 85s yeah. you can play anywhere where would you want to play um I actually I wouldn't mind
3: playing hooker I'd love to throw the ball in yeah. I reckon that just looks like so much fun even though some hookers just seem like it mentally fries them <laughs> I would just love that part. It's like sorry, it's like shooting a three-pointer. I reckon. It just looks looks fun. So I think I'd do that and then get stuck into the t- into the top. It'd just be nice to it'd be nice to put a dominant shot on for once in my life and not have guys just try and steamroll me constantly. Uh, it's just yeah, it's just sounding even more and more. Um, appealing.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I can hear it in your voice. I can hear it in your voice, Brad. Well, mate, thanks very much for, for coming on. Best of luck against Southland this weekend and uh, best of luck in your under 85 career in a few years. Cheers, Ricardo. Going, bro. Cheers, bro. Go well. Uh, Brad Weber there. Hawks Bay taking on Southland for the Shield. Two o'clock on Saturday in Napier. It is 9.21 here on Mornings with Ian Smith.
1: Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on NZ.
2: It is 26 past nine on your Friday morning here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for him. Smithy, of course, calling the Chapel Hadley Series for Sky Sports over in Australia if you missed what happened last night. Here's an update.
0: Given some wet, upishly played Oh, no! Disaster! Could not have gone any worse for Aaron Finch. His hold out to mid-off. Henry continues fourth over. That's a fuller ball. And on the half volley, Dave Warner gives Williamson his second catch. Now Smith's turn to drive. This is the off-drive, and that is unchaseable. Australia 2 for 14. Steve Smith, a bit short of length, swiveling into the pull shot. I reckon it got toe of bat, but finds the rope. Bolt. Oh, that struck Smith. Labashane in line. And Labashane will go. Holt oh, to Stortus. here's another big shot for RBW, that looks good, Figure is up, four down.
1: It's league side into the pads of Smith, who works and very fine, much needed boundary for Australia. Reverse paddle and missing the edge. Oh, Tried
0: nice. the reverse sweep and Carey might be stumped here. Oh, it's out. After all that, <laughs> it was line ball. Oh. Left arm around to Maxwell, backing away and launching up and over the mid-wicket boundary for the first six of the Australian innings. It was only a matter of time around oh, the wicket to, to bounce it for Smith and it got high up on the bat It dollied up, but it's going to run away. Smith brings up his 27th one day international half century and he has been stoic, he has been gritty and he has toughed it out, Stark to finish off his fine innings, trying the little paddle lap sweep, whatever you want to call it, gave it straight to the short fine leg, they go through for a single and Australia, courtesy of the men who are going to have to defend it, have given themselves something. Something just to hold on to at the end of 50 overs. Nine for 195. None for two New Zealand. Ed. It's edge taken by Finch at first slip. Gupton goes for just two. Drop the ball proceeding. Taken in the very next delivery. On Flicks this one up. out towards Boone. Oh it's taken.
1: Everett oh. strikes second ball. Oh. Ebbett. Well, oh. well,
0: Williamson again facing Hazel Woodson. with a little short, nicely carved. Through point for Williamson. Now another little reverse sweep. Shots. Nicely played by Mitchell. That is the gap. Here is a ah! local toss. It's Williamson in front of the wicket. He is from RBW. Surely the figure
1: is up. Number on his back. Bowls, and here's ah! another
0: shot for RBW. Reverse sweep. It's Finger goes up for Tucker. I think this has hit him in front.
1: There's oh, a clip. No.
0: The He holds out. His left arm over to Bracewell. Oh. That's full. That striking pad, hand And it's either caught off an edge or it's LBW. Either way, there's a finger up from Blocker Wilson. A 7 for 57. Zampa. Oh, the oh, oh. That's not wrong. And it's an absolute pull Oh, my. What a delivery from Adam Zampa. It pitched outside off and it fizzed back through the
1: gate. Roughly. Here's Zampa to continue after the oh. drinks break. And it's clipped Soft dismissal. All bottom hand from Henry. Zampa has another.
4: 114 runs away. Yeah! And it might be
1: over here. Struck in front of stump, Another LBW. And it's five for Zampa. New Zealand put out of their misery. All out for 82. Take a bow, Australia. Chapel Hadley will stay on your shores.
2: There you go. Uh, that was, of course, the S. E. N. Z commentary. We'll have uh, commentary of the third and final as well, uh, right here on SENZ. Uh, we have had a text through about this from Jared. Hi, fellas. What a load of rubbish in Cairns last night. Just a inept batting from the Black Caps. i felt too, Ricardo, for a long time. It's been a mental issue playing Australia in Australia. We just fall short every time. I think a psychologist of some sort Perhaps, or a group of past black caps that have won over there and needed. Uh, thanks very much for your text, Jared. Yeah, uh, much what I said in the Ricardo Reckons at the top of the show, but yeah, poor, very poor. And uh, yeah, some head scratching to be done. A, a penny for Ian Smith's thoughts this morning. Uh, I know, do know that we have had a couple of texts in asking us to get him on because he tipped out a winner on Wednesday and they want more horse tips from him rather than cricket tips but we're not getting Smithy today. Unfortunately we are getting Ben Ransom from Sky Sports UK though. He is going to be with us after the latest in news and sport. <laughs> It's 26 to 10 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball, in for him. Of course, if you've just tuned in and you haven't heard the news yet, uh, Queen Elizabeth II passed away at the age of 96 this morning, New Zealand time. And joining us to talk about that and uh, the knock-on effect of that happening is Ben Ransom from Sky Sports in the UK. Good evening, Ben, and commiserations on losing your Queen. Yeah,
5: it's been a, a strange day, it has to be said. I mean, I think um, I think we kind of got the sense that something serious was wrong, um, Mid, I suppose, early afternoon, really. Um, I think the fact that the Royal family were rushing to Balmoral to be there um, gave everyone the sense that, no, this is something a little bit different to what we've seen before. And yeah, it's kind of, it's one of those, it's a funny and historic day, isn't it? It's one that I suppose you never thought would come. And I guess... It, it seems strange. I mean, I'm 40 years old and obviously I've only ever known one monarch, but there are people a lot older than me who are in exactly the same boat. And I think it's only when you look, think about the the dates and the time period that we're talking about, this is effectively has been our monarch ever since um, the days just after the end of the Second World War and that period of rebuilding Britain all the way through to, to today. So it's been, yeah, we've never seen a change of monarch for most of the people that live in the UK, which is absolutely remarkable.
2: Uh, Paula, who works in the office here with us, came in this morning and was, you know, quite sad about the news. Uh, she said it felt like she would lost her grandmother, um, which I, I thought was quite a sweet way of putting it. How, how do you feel?
5: Yeah, it's an odd one. It is. Um, uh, I'm not. Honestly, I'm not really sure. To be honest, um, look. I mean. I suppose I'm a bit of a student of history. So when it comes to kind of monarchs and reigns and periods in history and, and eras, um, you kind of you look at it with a slightly different and more kind of wide ranging view. You kind of take a step back from the the emotion of the whole thing. But look, the Queen, there's no doubt about it, has been a remarkable influence on many people's lives in the UK. That I think that that is right. She has been this figurehead that's always just remained just kept that kind of mystique of the royal family she's never once given an interview and i think that is testament to her thoughts on where the royal family sits um she's clearly very protective of her family um she's widely respected over you know across the globe and to me that the memories that jump out to me are in specifically around the big sporting events and you, i think you'll remember the specifically london 2012 opening ceremony when she did that incredible cameo in that video with james bond um which was i mean that was a huge surprise when that was broadcast but that was absolutely brilliant i think that just showed and gave an insight into the the humor that she's always carried um and the other people who have have revealed anecdotally but obviously We don't really get to see, apart from the occasional mischievous little grin, uh, which we've seen on public engagement. So, yeah, a little window, perhaps, into her behind closed doors. But look, also, I think she's clearly been an incredibly strong woman, a strong leader. Uh, The royal family, even in my lifetime, have had some uh, pretty remarkable controversies to overcome and navigate. Um, And she has always kind of stood firm at the centre of that.
2: Where do you think... um... Britain goes from here, mate. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a huge upheaval. It's a huge change, like you said, for, for all of us. He's the only monarch uh, a good deal of us have, have, have ever known. I, I know that King Charles III is going to get sworn in at some point in the near future. It just seems bizarre. It won't be, you know, the Queen's birthday holiday. It'll be the King's birthday holiday. I mean, there's just so many little things like that that are going to change.
5: I think that's it. That's when the realization will hit a lot of people. I think, look, we're in that period, as with any kind of great event, or when you lose someone that you either feel you know, or a, a kind of a, a famous figure, or a leader, or something. Then I think there's the, the period of shock and mourning, and you can't re- you reflect on that person, what that person means to you, what impact they have on society, and all that kind of thing. But you're right, it's the little things. It'll be the changing of the currency, it'll be for the first time in. As I say, certainly in my lifetime, most people's lifetimes, there'll be a different face on coins, on banknotes, on stamps. The National Anthem, I mean, how many times have I been to sporting events specifically and stood there as an England fan and sung God Save Our Queen? Well, that is going to be God Save Our King for the first time in my life. And that's going to sound so strange. And people are going to find that really hard to, to get their lips around. I've got no doubt about it. So, yeah, I think that's when the real reality of the situation will will uh, will kind of hit home for many people when you get your first coin banknote stamp with King Charles's head on he's going to be facing in the other direction as is tradition with when you change monarchs. Um, and I, I, yeah, I mean, look, his, his coronation, I mean, look, the, the plans are kind of well, well documented. They're kind of, they, they're in place for a reason for the, this kind of
6: smooth, uh,
5: transition period. I think it's a 10 day period of official mourning. And during that time, we will hear from the new King, who is the King right now, King Charles third. He's confirmed that that is going to be his title. He's going to obviously address the nation and then he will go on a tour of the nation. That's the understanding. Certainly, uh, he'll visit all four. Capitals in the Union. um, And then he will, you know, he will have his his coronation as the king. And it's very much going to be about, at this stage, for the monarchy, of course, is making sure they, they protect their own position. Not only within Britain, but across the world, because I know your neighbours, for example, in Australia, they have been rumblings for a long time that they want to replace the, the Queen as head of state. And obviously, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if the royal family are already thinking that there might be more of those rumblings around the world, around the Commonwealth countries um, and around others that have her as head of state. Uh, Moving forward. So they want to make this period of transition as smooth as possible. Um, But yeah, I mean, from a historical point of view, from a sociological point of view, from a political point of view, it's absolutely fascinating period.
2: Yeah, it's interesting what you said there, because I would imagine, you know, the Australians, I think, uh, I, I, I think the plan has always been, look, let's just, we'll give Liz her due. As they call her, and and you know let her see it out, and then maybe we make that move, but obviously they're not going to do that today, but uh, that, that is something that we could particularly uh, we you know probably look forward to hearing about over the next few weeks. I mean what she, she had a lot of respect. Um, here we would say a lot of mana, she she had gravitas. I, I don't know that anybody else in the royal family that is still here that is with us, including Charles, have that. Um, do you think the royal family's lost or the monarchy's lost some of its sheen now that she's not there?
5: It will certainly have lost, uh, I mean, a, a huge amount of experience. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, Charles definitely doesn't have the respect that the Queen has or had. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You only have to look at, for example, how he's treated by some of our press in this country in terms of, you know, the kind of more right-leaning newspapers who, of course, would be very um, very much royalists. And they would, you know, the front pages would always be about Princess Diana or about the Queen. They, They, they have that kind of... Um, that feeling and that absolute respect for her, that absolute loyalty and allegiance with her—they, you know—they have printed stories that have been obviously slightly, slightly critical of Charles already. And there, I think, is a fear among that that kind of um, uh, among the monarchic kind of um, uh, loyalists—is probably the best way of putting it—the uh, royalists that you know Charles being that change, um, is going to make things slightly uncertain for the, the royal family's um, future, which I think is why already we've heard these very scripted, very um, preordained words. I mean, it was, I think, the new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, I think it was her speech initially when she said, you know, God save our King, in terms of King Charles the third, that already very much stamping his uh, position because obviously her hereditary monarchy is something that is slightly alien really to a modern society but it's one in, in Britain we've had for um, so many years. It is tradition and I think that's what we all start harking back to. The Queen absolutely uh, traditionalist, respects. She's a strong figure who held that family together as I say despite some hugely uh, significant moments that had the potential to undermine the very fabric of the royal family. So, it's a huge challenge for Charles to take that on at a time as well politically. Which I know the royal family certainly publicly don't get involved in politics, but politically, as I'm sure it is down there. But in this part of the world, things are very, very uncertain. Not least the cost of living. Not least the fact we've had, you know, our government um, Boris Johnson effectively kind of booted out by his own. MPs after so many scandals during COVID, all that, they are only just putting the new government together. List Trust only sworn in a couple of days ago by the Queen herself. Um, So, yeah, it's a very uncertain time, I think, on a number of levels. And in, in that respect, I mean, this news could not have really happened at a worse time, I'd suggest.
2: Mm. Yeah indeed, Uh, I mean we've seen the uh, second day of the test against South Africa, the cricket test against South Africa has been postponed um, in respect for the passing of the Queen, we saw UEFA uh, who are obviously a European body rather than a a, a British body um, not postpone games today, West Ham played in London this morning, Manchester United played in Manchester this morning but they did have a minute's silence before those games, what does it mean for sport going forward say this weekend in the UK do you think what do you anticipate may happen
5: it's a tricky one it really is at this stage what I do know is there is going to be a call tomorrow morning uh, around nine o'clock in the morning UK time um, between all of the relevant stakeholders the the major leagues for example the Premier League um, the uh, culture for um, media and sport. Um, sorry, the department for culture, media and sport. Uh, the government, essentially, um, they will. There is um, a there's basically an official um, guidance with regards to the official morning, which, as I say, is 10 days. So they're going to have that call tomorrow morning and then we'll know for sure what's going to happen with all the sporting events, not just this weekend, but potentially, given that that period of morning is due to be 10 days, potentially the following weekend as well. So we don't know yet. What we do know, you're right to say, is tomorrow, certainly this afternoon in the UK and tomorrow, sporting events have been cancelled. So what we've seen is, as you say, the the test match has been postponed for now. We saw the uh, PGA uh, Championship at Wentworth. Uh, That's been postponed tomorrow as well. Horse racing called off. The Queen, you know, that was her favourite sport. Much loved. We know that she was an owner of horses she followed that very very religiously that was her big love horse racing so no surprise that that has been postponed and indeed the football matches in the football league tomorrow um, have been postponed as well now the games did go ahead tonight because I think first of all there was a logistical problem given that the news only was made official after six o'clock UK time ahead of uh, kickoffs that were Coming up, but you know, I think Arsenal might have already kicked off by that point, but certainly for Manchester United and for West Ham, the games were pretty much going to happen because fans were on their way, teams were there, UEFA were very keen for the games to go ahead. So I think logistically, they didn't have much choice there. It'd be interesting to see whether that guidance changes for the Champions League next week. Um, but look, as far as the weekend's games go, the feeling is. There's an expectation, I think, among clubs and leagues that it will be postponed this weekend. But until we have that call tomorrow morning, we don't know for sure. And it is worth pointing out that when the Queen's father died, King George VI, back in 1952, while rugby and hockey games were called off, football did go ahead uh, a couple of days later. So there's the precedent is that sport and football will carry on. However, the feeling and the mood in the country certainly feels that that's not going to happen this weekend for whatever reason.
2: Good stuff, Ben. Thanks very much for giving us some time, staying up late, and uh, and and you know, talking us through the feeling in Britain and the feeling and your feeling as well around all this. I really appreciate your time. mate. go well.
5: Yeah, thank you very much. Look, it's one of those. It's uh, it's sad. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Of course, it is. As you say, I think it was put right that kind of we all feel some sort of personal affinity and that we knew the Queen as a grandmother. She is that figure. She certainly has respect, and she'll be very much missed.
2: She will indeed. Ben Ransom from Sky Sports UK there with us here on Mornings with Ian Smith on S E N Z. We'll be back with some texts and Smithy's Multi next.
7: You
8: got to know when the up Know when the folder.
9: Smithy's Multi.
8: Know when to walk away and know when to
9: run. Bet live on your favorite sports. Download the TAB app today.
2: It's eight away from ten, yeah. Yesterday's multi's just come in, actually, at Carlos Alcaraz, which... At $1.56, I thought it was going to be a lot more comfortable than five sets in five hours, 15 minutes, but we got there. Uh, Lazio beat Feyenoord 4-2 this morning, and Sheriff Tirispol, uh was really the money in this uh, multi, was paying 3.30 to beat uh, Cypriot side Ammonia away in Europa League. They did comfortably near 3-0, so that came in. I know Troy is happy, he texted through saying, another great multi, you're on fire, cheers mate. Well, this one hopefully... ...will work for you as well. It's uh, maybe not quite as rich... But I reckon it'll uh it'll be a goodie. Uh the Buffalo Bills take on the LA Rams today. This is the defending Super Bowl champions up against this season's favorites. Uh the Bills are paying a dollar seventy one. 71. I've gone them head to head. Parramatta play Penrith Panthers tonight. Parra, of course, have won uh twice against the Panthers this season. Uh, it'll be a tight match either way. You can get Para plus seven and a half points at a dollar ninety, so I've put that in there. And then Auckland City on Sunday, they play Eastern Suburbs in the Chatham Cup final. They're paying a dollar twenty-five, so I've chucked them in there as well. Uh, so you put that on; it's just over a four-dollar, just over a four-dollar multi. But uh, that's the multi for you for now. I have a bunch of texts come through. We'll get to more of these in a little while but I don't think the black caps were as bad as we think, the Aussies couldn't bat on that wicket, either and we lost the game with Aussies last two partnerships that was a bit crap that we couldn't get them out our target should have been 130 and we may have got that, thanks very much for your text keep your text coming through on double eight double that is the temper bed post text machine temper and bed post range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort
1: This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ
2: yeah, coming up 10 o'clock here on SENZ, uh, are we winding back the clock to 230 scores? When was the last time we had five one-dayers and didn't score over 250? It's good to see a pitch where you have to work for your runs. Uh, that is one of the texts that has come through on the cricket from overnight to is the temper bedpost text machine, of course. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk NRL. The finals are upon us. Penrith Power tonight. Nick Campton from ABC Sport will be with us just after 10. Also, Sam Ackerman and Gerard Cronin on the panel today as well. We'll catch up with Louis Herman, what for a love racing update and talk TAB with Pip Morris as well. All that and more coming your way right here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith after the latest with News and Sport with Araha Hathaway.
1: From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
2: It's three past ten here on Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Paul in for Smithy, and uh, we are going to be doing a panel with Sam Ackerman and Jared Cronin later in the hour, but time now to talk the NRL final series. It gets underway tonight with the Panthers taking on the Eels and joining us to talk about this is Nick Campton from ABC Sport. G'day, Nick. How are you?
10: I'm good, Ricardo. Thanks for having me, mate.
2: Mate, uh, my pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Um... Tonight's game uh, is an intriguing one. I I guess uh, there's a few questions, one of which how seamlessly do you think Nathan Cleary will uh, slip back into that Panthers lineup given he's uh, on the, been on the sidelines for so long?
10: I'm expecting him to drop in pretty pretty seamlessly. I'm not expecting Cleary to come in with with much rust. He's played together with these with all these guys for a good 3 or 4 years, you know, their combinations are all really set. I'm expecting him to come back and, and and pretty much be be straight back to his best. I don't think there'll be much of an adjustment period at all, you know. So it might not be great news for Parramatta, but um, yeah, I'm expecting to see the best in Nathan Cleary tonight.
2: Yeah, what about Tyland May? He's uh, he's been a story, hasn't he? Um, I tell you, there's a, there's a few blokes who have uh, fronted up at the NRL judiciary who can't play this weekend, um, but you get convicted in court and you're you're fine.
10: I've got to tell you, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that Taylor May's playing this weekend. I, I could completely understand if the NRL waited to hand down the suspension until after the season, then they would have got the same effect that they're getting now where he'd be able to play in the big games while avoiding this publicity firestorm. But essentially what they said is, you know, he, he can play. He, he can play in the games that matter, but those first two games next year, they don't really matter. So the suspension could wait until then. I think it's... It is absolutely boneheaded. It's a huge double standard. And, it, and you're right, it's a real slap in the face to players who have missed suspension, who have missed finals for on-field acts in the past. You know, like The NRL seem to make things up as they go along a lot of the time with a lot of their policies. And to me, this is another example of that. If I was a Parramatta fan,
2: I'd be absolutely filthy. Yeah. I may I mean, you know, if you were um Lindsay Collins, you'd be absolutely filthy probably, if you and you know, the Roosters as well. But um Para, from their point of view, I mean, knocked over the Panthers twice this year. Um, they've got to be pretty confident going into this game, don't they?
10: I think they will. I think they will because it's not just this year, ever since Penrith sort of went to this level they're at now, um in back in twenty twenty. Parramatta are the only team, when both sides have been fully fit, they're the only team that have run, have run Penrith close every single time. You know, they were the only team to beat them in the regular season in 2020. Last year in the finals, Penrith did beat them in, in that, in that uh, knockout semi, but it was a two-point win. It was really, really close. And then, of course, we have Parramatta's two wins earlier this year. You know, I, I, um, if, you believe in who, if you believe in hoodoos or bogey teams or anything like that, Parramatta is, is the best option you've got for a team that can take down Penrith, you know, and Parramatta, they do have a problem stringing together really strong performances, but quite often they're able to, to really lift their standards and lift their intensity for the big games, and it doesn't get any bigger than this, you know, Western Sydney rivals a sold-out stadium, but yeah, I think if there's a team that can beat Penrith in these circumstances,
2: it's, it's Parramatta. And of course, there's the, have you, have you heard the story of the eel whisperer,
10: Nick? <laughs> I can't. I can't say
11: I have Ricardo. I must have missed that one.
2: No, Andrew Voss is the eel whisperer. He has called Parramatta ten times this season. They have won every time, and he is calling the game tonight.
10: Is that a self-appointed nickname for Vossie,
2: or? I, I think it's one that we gave him actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. It's a very. Um,
10: oh, he's got a, He's someone's got to tell him about this. That's an extremely Andrew Voss type stat. You know, he's uh, one of Rugby League's great train spotters, but. Look, maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough. Like a lot of the time, a lot of the time, the finals, it's bit, it's about the best team and who plays better and all that as well. But it's about who believes they can win, you know. And maybe maybe little superstitions and crazy little runs and quirks of statistics, maybe they give people the belief they need, you know. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm certainly not uh, underestimating the powers of the Ulster.
2: Yeah, the whisper whisperer, mate, is, is to be feared, to be feared. Uh, of course, there there are three other games that we should talk as well. Um, the Storm and the Raiders on Saturday, this one really interests me. The Storm have, have been off this season. They haven't been typical Storm. Uh, they've lost games you would have expected the Storm in, in other years to win, and it feels like maybe this is the last year we see the Storm where they are with Kalfusi, the Bromwich brothers, and the cheese all heading off next season, their forward pack's going to uh, be decimated. And the Raiders, they go to Amy Park having won their last four visits there. I mean, the, the Raiders are—I don't know if they're a smoky for the title, but they're certainly, I, I would say, uh, odds on to to be uh, to, to you know sideline Bally Aiken and his boys for the season on Saturday.
10: I, th- I think there are a really big chance, for the Raiders, especially if Jerome Hughes doesn't play. Um, he was out last week. He's under a bit of a fitness cloud this week, and that sort of tells you the story of Melbourne this year. I think, fully fit, they've still got a really good side. They've still got a side that can challenge for the title, but just with the way the roster's built, if they lose one or two of their key guys, all of a sudden, things start to, to, to really fall apart, you know, and you could see that once Ryan Pappenhausen went down. That was when their season really sort of fell apart a little bit, and they still have so much talent with guys like Harry Grant and Brandon Smith and Cameron Munster and all that, but the the, the sort of middle tier guys, the the unsung heroes uh, that Melbourne have had in the past, they don't really have those sorts of players around at the moment, you know. And I really like I really like Canberra's forward pack. I think they'll be able to attack Melbourne through the middle. And you know, I'm I'm kind of with you. I I, I can definitely see a a, a Raiders upset. I'm, I'm not sure if they'll go on and win the title or anything like that, but. Taking on Melbourne in Melbourne is a really scary task for a lot of teams, but, but not for Canberra. Not for Canberra. For some reason, they've managed to crack the code down there. They're, they're the only team other than Melbourne with a winning record at Amy Park. There are teams like South Sydney who haven't won in Melbourne in 25 years, you know, but Canberra just seemed to find a way to get it done. And the, the more I talk about it, the more I think about it, the more I think Canberra is going to add another win at Amy Park to the list.
2: There are things that Ricky Stewart gets his team to do that other teams don't do. I remember seeing a couple of years ago, uh, you know, Melbourne with the back three that they had then was so explosive. When you kicked the ball away on, on tackle five, it was when they were at their most dangerous. Uh, and Canberra went there and they just they deliberately kicked the ball into touch behind the defensive line, so that you know Slater and Co. Didn't have the opportunity to do any broken field running, and then they would basically box them in that corner, and that's that's how they won that game. And that was just very clever t- uh, tactics from, from Ricky Stewart. So I think you know he he cops a lot of stick, Ricky Stewart, and, and rightly so sometimes. But I don't think you can underestimate just how clever a tactician he is.
10: That's right, that's right. And the thing with Ricky is those those sort of tactical masterstrokes often show up at the most uh, at the most unorthodox times. You know, like I know everyone sees him yelling and screaming on the sideline and getting emotional and you know saying things in press conferences and all that. But he's a he's he's been coaching for a really long time. Craig Bellamy and Wayne Bennett are the only coaches who have been in first grade longer than Ricky Stewart has. You know, and when you're around that long, you've got a deep bag of tricks. And Ricky only goes to that bag of tricks when he really, really needs to. And this is the kind of time when he really, really needs to. So it wouldn't surprise me if Canberra pull out some sort of tactical move or some play or, or something unorthodox, something that they haven't really used this season and, and, and try it on now. Because in the finals, that's kind of what you have to do. And even though they do have the good record at Amy Park, Melbourne is still really strong down there and Canberra might need something special. So I could definitely see Ricky going to uh, go into a playbook that only he knows about
2: uh, <laughs> tomorrow night. Uh, the other game on Saturday night is the Sharks taking on the Cowboys. I, I've said for the last... Well, a couple of months really. That the sharks seem to be flying under everybody's radar. You talk about finals footy, you talk about grand finals. Nobody seems to be talking about Craig Fitzgibbon, and probably the Cowboys aren't far off that. You got two young coaches um, who are doing really, really good things, and uh, you know this is probably the hardest match to pick. I think.
10: I, I would agree. I would agree. It's funny, you know, the Sharks have won eleven of their last twelve. Right, the Cowboys haven't been lower than third since April, but. I, I, I agree. It feels like everybody's kind of writing them off. Everybody's talking about Penrith, of course, but Parramatta seem to be the team that everybody is, is thinking can challenge the Panthers, and then everybody's talking about Souths and the Roosters and, and, and Melbourne and Canberra a little bit, and no one's talking about the Sharks and the Cowboys, when really, other than Penrith, they've been the two most consistent teams this year. You know, and it, it wouldn't surprise me if the winner of this Cowboys-Sharks game ends up making the grand final, you know, because if the Cowboys win, it means they get a home prelim, they're fantastic in the finals at home. They've never lost a finals game in North Queensland. And if Cronulla win and get the week off and have a chance to reload and get to sort of that precipice of the grand final, I think they get it done, you know. And I've been really tossing this one up all week because I don't think either team has come into the semis in, in, in especially great form. You know, the Cowboys haven't had their best team on the field in a while, except the last week when they took on a depleted Penrith. So who knows you can, how much you can really take out of that. And while the sharks are riding a really heavy win streak into the into the finals, I think they've kind of been waiting for the finals to get here for the last couple of weeks. I don't feel I, I feel like they've sort of just been going through the motions, doing enough to get to get by. And now the finals are here, and it's time to kick up another gear. I'm probably leaning the Cowboys just a little bit. I just think their forward pack is a little bit stronger, but they're, they're a they're, they're, they're a different beast when they're not playing in North Queensland. Their record in Sydney this year against good teams isn't the best, it's not what they would want it to be and it will be a big advantage to the Sharks playing at Shark Park, even though you know the crowd will be will be capped at 11,500, but it'll be 11,000, 11,500 black, white and blue screamers, so I'm taking the Cowboys in a really, really tight one, but it wouldn't surprise me if we come away from that game, and everyone everyone's a little bit surprised by the quality, everybody's Sort of like, oh, wow, we really, we did underestimate these two. These are two real uh, premiership calibre
2: teams. Yeah, looking forward to that game, mate, and looking forward to Sunday as well. We uh, got a double dose. They met last week in the final round, Robin. They meet this week uh, in a match that really matters, knockout. Uh, the Roosters and the Rabbitohs, two rivals who really don't like each other. The Rabbitohs have got Damien Cook back. Campbell Graham, be interesting to see how fit he is. But for the uh, Roosters, no Joey Manu. How big a loss is that?
10: He's massive. He, he, he's a massive loss. It's, it's not just that he's one of the best attacking centres in the league. Like, we've all seen him. We all know exactly how good he is. He's, But he's the kind of player who takes a good rooster's attack and, and, kind, of, and kind of makes it great, you know. And he does that by not just doing all the things that centres do well, you know, like setting up his winger and making breaks and all that. He can bob up all over the field. He can make plays that no other centre can make, you know, with, his, with a flick pass or with his footwork or catching a kick or putting in a kick or something like this. I don't think there's another centre in the entire league that has his arsenal of, of attacking weapons, you know. So losing him is, 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 a, really, is a really big blow for the Roosters. I, but I, I see this one being really, really evenly poised. You know, I think mean, it's looking like Cam Murray's going to play for the Rabbitohs, and that, that's massive because without him, I don't think they'd be able to beat the Roosters. When he's not there, South just can't move the ball as well from side to side. And if South can't move the ball from side to side... All their glistening attack with Cody Walker and the trellis and all that, all that kind of falls flat, you know. So if he's playing, this is a genuine contest. This is a this is a, this is a coin flip, and I probably I probably lean the Roosters, but it's it's not easy. I'm not I'm not making that pick with any confidence.
2: <laughs> what about uh, with the loss of Manu Joseph Suwali? There's been a lot of talk from his camp about. Wanting the Roosters to move to Disco on because he's a fullback, etc. Uh, but he's a big body. He's, he's a similar type of player, explosive, to Joey Manu. He's been named on the wing, but can you see him potentially taking that three spot and Momoroski actually lining up on the wing come game day?
10: Possibly, possibly. But I, I actually think he can better serve the team on the wing right now because the the thing that's really stood out to me about Joe Sewallie this year, like you know, the the the, 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 the tries have been great and going up and catching bombs like his Israel Fallout and that's all been fantastic. But I actually love his work out of the backfield. I love his work, you know, on play one or play two and really helping to drive the roosters up the field with his with his tough carries out of his own end. And that's just a little bit harder to do if you're playing in the centers than if you're on the wing. You know, so I I, I could definitely see them moving s m moving Swali there. He's he's good enough he can probably play anywhere in the back line. But for this particular game I'd probably I'd probably keep him on the wing. Just just to kind of minimise disruption as well, you know. Like he is, he's still, a, he is still a very young man. He is still relatively inexperienced in first grade. I wouldn't want to throw him into a position that he's never played in first grade before in a sudden death semi final. You know, he's he's been great all the he's been great on the wing all year. That's been a real strength of the Roosters. I wouldn't weaken a strength to strengthen a weakness, if you get what I'm saying.
2: Yep, no 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 point in shuffling the chairs on the uh, deck chairs on the Titanic, right? I, I, I get where you're coming from there, Nick. All right, well listen, mate, before we let you go, uh have a have a have a look into that crystal ball of yours and tell us who is gonna be the grand final winner in the NRL for twenty twenty two.
10: Oh god, I hate to be I hate to be boring and blase and all that, but it's gotta be the Panthers, doesn't it? Like Like, how can you go past them? How can you go past them? They've sort of just been... They've kind of just been sitting there. They've kind of just been idling. Like, you know, the engine hasn't quite turned over yet while they're waiting for Cleary to come back. But he's back now. They're fully loaded. They've got a little bit... They've got a little bit of extra motivation with Cleary coming back. They can can sort of do a little bit of the the us-against-the-world type thing that, that really drives a lot of teams. And it's a motivation that's much harder to find when you're as good as they've been and you have been that good for that long because... It's hard to say nobody believes in you when everybody believes in you, but they've just got that little bit of extra fire now, you know, and I think they beat Parra tonight. I think they win the prelim, and I, I, I think they take on the grand finals. Well, it won't be easy. It won't be a walkover. It won't be the sort of thing where they win all three games by 40, but they're still a class of the NRL, in my opinion, and a, a worthy challenger might come up, but I, I see kind going back-to-back
2: good stuff, mate. Thanks very much for coming on, Nick. Enjoy your footy this weekend, and we'll catch up with you again soon, eh? Absolutely,
10: mate. Thanks for having
2: me. Anytime, anytime. Nick Campton from ABC Sport, the NRL rider, giving us his take on the NRL finals. When we come back, Sam Ackerman and Gerard Cronin join us on the panel.
1: Winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
9: Big
2: talk, big opinions, the panel. It's 10.24 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo in for him because Smithy is course in Australia, calling the Chapel Hadley Series. And boy, you would have been hating that last night. Our panellists today would have been uh, likewise, I'm sure. Sam Ackerman, good morning to you, sir. Morning, Ricardo. Yep, uh, that was not a fun sporting experience. Not at all. Not at all. And Gerard Cronin, uh, a Kiwi living in Australia, it'd be that much more painful, I'd imagine.
12: Oh, absolutely. It's been uh, quite hard to be around the office, so I've decided today I'm actually going to work from home. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant call. Brilliant call. (laughs) Uh, Sam... I don't
2: know, it feels like, I said earlier this morning, it feels like, you know, teams used to uh, match up against the All Blacks and they'd come out and it was almost like mentally in their heads they were all t- already 10 or 15 down at kickoff. It feels like that's how the Black Caps are whenever we play Australia in Australia.
7: Oh, listen, I actually think a little bit of this is actually legit fatigue. This team, well not everybody in this team obviously, but the, the Black Caps have been on tour since May. Overseas uh, playing, uh, obviously, the ill-fated Test series uh, against uh, against England. But, you know, they've been to all those um, cricketing hotspots like um, the Netherlands and Ireland and uh, playing, you know, real crucial series. Um, and look, cricket is cricket. It's good to get miles on your belt, build internationals, find yourself um, to create resilience or when you're in positions of dominance to work on it. There's lots There's lots to take out of it. I, I just think they've come to this stage of the uh, season where they're a little bit knackered. Uh, they're taking on an Australian side in Australia where there is a legitimate hoodoo. I mean, when we can all remember the last test uh, and last time we won in uh, Australia being 11 years ago, we all remember it um, so fondly, but the Hobart test, it, I mean, it's it's insane. It's a stat that I can't kind of get my head around. It's also, I feel that, you know, playing Australia up in, uh, up in the, the North Queensland in September, I mean, you can't... I think it says a little bit about what the Aussies think about this series as well. New Zealand might come in as world number one. We might have been in uh, regular in the finals of the of the World Cup tournaments in the in short forms, but they, they've put it in september up in the uh, up in queensland it 's not even summer they even wait they even wait to play us in summer uh, and I think the results show why because they're just right now new Zealand's incapable of of achieving the results against Australia and Australia I, I can't get my head around it if we, we've played them enough times now it's not like the old days where we'd go on occasionally get a, a nibble to play over there that the Chapel Hadley means we get to play them on a very regular basis it's it's frustrating to watch uh, to watch what happened last night very frustrating
2: very frustrating yeah I'm not sure about the the naked thing it's an interesting point but I mean a lot of those guys the big names were rested and then brought back at various times in that tour but what I will say Gerard is that I think if this black caps team has England, India, Pakistan, South Africa at five for 44 in, a, in, a, in an ODI, they're not losing the game. We somehow find a way to, I don't know, outthink ourselves or, you know, kind of go, oh, it's Australia and therefore what do we do now? Uh, it, it, it seems to be a real hoodoo.
12: Absolutely. I had one of my friends texting me, Aussie, mate. Ah, uh, texting me about the cricket and saying, "Hey, the, the uh you know the we're down to like you know five for not much, and you know things aren't looking great." And in my head, I was actually, as a fan, I've still got my own scar tissue from the Black Caps versus Australia because my reply to his message was, "Michael Bevan isn't still playing, is he?" And so, <laughs> still scarred from that experience. And little did I know that uh, you know Cameron Green and Alex Carey were to come out and basically be. A, a, a version of, of Michael Bevan in this one to take the game away from us. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a funny thing. If that's the impact that they're having on the fans, uh, I can only imagine how much it's in the head of the actual players. So, uh, yeah, it is a tough one. Also, just wanted to um, just mention Sam um, just spoke about how they're playing up in Cairns at the moment. And I had a look at the weather forecast for this coming Sunday for the last game, and it's 29 degrees and about 187% humidity um and uh, i would like to think that i've been living in australia now for four years and i'd be actually struggling to just be up in cairns at all uh, let alone having to play a game of cricket so i'm um, just uh, just want to put that out there for our black caps boys
2: yeah i was having a conversation with andrew Wu, who's the head cricket writer for the for the melbourne age last night and uh he said to me surely you guys can't lose this from here australia about 50 short I said, I didn't think we could lose from 44 for five. He said, you guys, you Kiwis have such a complex against us. And then there was radio silence until a little later in the evening when I got a text that just said, I take back what I said. Um, so uh, <laughs> even even he's experiencing it from the other side, an Australian side. I mean, uh, if we can't beat them in this situation, I don't know when we will. Uh, Gilbert Oka, I would imagine, Sam, his phone might be running hot today.
7: Yeah, it's uh, well. He's, he's a busy man in general. I think everyone that he? he's uh, got new ties to, quite needing Gilbert at the moment. Maybe it's the secret of success. He builds them uh, up to a certain level, but not so far that they uh, don't get back on the phone to him. I don't know. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's absolutely a, a, a mental issue, rather than a talent issue. Absolutely. But uh, when I look at what what's going on in the situations they they put themselves in, I don't know whether they're spooked. Or if they, if there's an allowance to um, to start thinking ahead, like okay, well we're in this situation, what's next, and not not being able to keep that that killer that uh, in in rugby league we call it you know playing to the 80th minute. I, I feel that same way with the Black Caps against Australia, where I feel like they can't stay. Invested and involved, but for me the worst thing was the run chase. The run chase felt like they were trying to stay alive and figured if we bat fifty overs we'll win. And that's not that's not a mental approach you can take to Australia and Australia. It, it, it seemed like a very unblack cat concept. Uh, to, in the way of playing cricket. Uh, that, that was what's was most alarming for me.
2: Yeah, no, I have to agree with you, mate. It was painful at times. Uh, I did see people uh, on my Twitter feed referring to it as uh, the first day of the five-day test, um, talking about how, how the Black Caps were batting. It certainly felt more like that than it did a one-day. This is the panel here on Mornings with Ian Smith. We're going to continue the discussion with NRL, NFL, and remembering a great man as well. All of that to come after the latest in news and sport with Araha Hathaway.
0: Big Talk, Big Opinions,
9: The
2: Panel It's 28 away from 11, Sam Ackerman, Gerard Cronin on with us uh, talking uh, The Panel and the NRL Finals are this weekend underway tonight with the Panthers taking on the Eels Uh, Sam, we'll start with you mate, the Eels have beaten them twice this season, are they going to beat them a third time?
7: No I don 't think they will uh, I think they're certainly capable of them of it, and uh, clearly with the previous two results but if uh, if Parra can uh, can knock over the panthers, that is this final series is is turned on its head uh, and you're going to find uh, a lot of teams on edge and I think it, it, it'll also the way the finals are played, I think you find teams that well she's a penor they're going to be knocked over, do we need to up? Our game, do we need to, uh, you know, uh, that second guessing type of style? Because Panthers been so dominant uh, with Cleary back uh, this week, I, I expect it to be a, uh, a different scenario. And and Nathan Cleary uh, has been able to prove in his uh, career, certainly at club level, uh, that when he is really under the pump, he can step up. Uh, and I'm 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 expecting him to come back with a, uh, you know, the 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 symmetry and the poetry of being sent off against the Eels five weeks later, coming back to play the Eels again is, is perfect and beautiful. I I think that um, they're an experienced finals team. People thought they might not have enough juice to get up um, last year, but they showed what they're capable of uh, a couple of grand finals in a row. This is their time of year. I I back Panthers, but um, man, the, if anyone's going to get uh, under them in this first week, it would be the Eels. So uh, a cracking matchup and, and cracking matchups across the board. Actually, everything's got a, a story to tell with it, rather than just a, a decent team against a decent team.
2: Yeah, well, I mean that's the, that's the thing, Gerard. Because I mean, we look at the, the next game off the uh, off the rankings as Canberra and Melbourne. And I, I just uh, had Nick Campton on from ABC earlier. Uh, you know, Ricky Stewart. the Raiders, they seem to uh, be able to outthink Craig Bellamy and his team. They've won the last four times to Amy Park. Um, Can they send? I was going to say send Melbourne home, but they're already home. Can they? Can they finish Melbourne early?
12: Well, they've got every chance. Uh, Melbourne haven't been looking quite Melbourne Storm-like in, in recent times. Plus, they've had a couple of key injuries, which they've been really trying to cover over, paper over the cracks uh, in the way that they've got Cameron Munster playing fullback, as you know, as, as good as he is. Um, but, yeah, I think the Raiders have definitely got every shot of continuing that streak in Melbourne. Uh, it's interesting to note that Craig Bellamy and uh, Ricky Stewart have actually just put their friendship on hold for uh, for just this weekend uh, in order to uh, to get through the festivities of, uh, of tomorrow afternoon.
2: And then we, of course, look, Sam, at the two guys who I think are vying for coach of the year, two relative rookies. I mean, Fitzgibbon is a rookie and Peyton might as well be. Uh, Cowboys Sharks this is an enthralling and probably the hardest one to pick.
7: Yeah, I agree. Very hard to pick. And just on that last game, by the way, if you're a Kiwis fan and don't know who to follow, you want the storm to stay alive with uh, Jerome Hughes and Brendan Smith in particular. wanting want to get some uh, big game finals under the belt for the World Cup. So that if you're neutral, don't know where to go. I know it feels um, wrong and a bit dirty to uh, follow the storm, but if, you, if you're worried about the Kiwis, uh, they're a team you want to see go deep. Uh, as far as that uh, the effort this year from um, from Craig Fitzgibbon has been there's been raps on him for a long time. I thought he'd have everything it takes to be successful. I didn't think he'd be getting um, the Sharks up to second on the ladder in the fashion he has. That's been, it's been it's been remarkable how they've just plugged away. They haven't looked gone out and dominated teams and be the overwhelming team. They're a team that with a real will to win, and I, I think that the uh, that the Cowboys are going to find that quite hard to combat. I've been really impressed with. Um, the attacking style that the Cowboys have picked up under Todd Payton—they really want to have a, a, a crack, and they utilise their strength so well. They're smart to play uh, when something's not working. Be prepared to go to Plan B. Be prepared to shift the ball in, a, in another direction. So, uh, I, I'll, I'll lean to the um, to the cows, but I can't say so with any certainty.
2: Yeah, uh, Gerard, where are you on that one?
12: Yeah, look I actually think that the Cowboys have got every chance of tipping up uh, tipping them up as well um they'll be the Sharks will be playing at home of course at points Bet Stadium where they do have a, a pretty decent record but yeah there's something about this Cowboys team that I just I like the the pieces that they've got in place their Ford pack is an absolute gun Ford pack they've got some great edge runners they've got Jason Domololo running up the middle uh, I think they've got every opportunity to to overthrow the sharks and just get one over them at home um, tomorrow, uh, I, th- I think it's going to be um, yeah, quite an enthralling match. This could be indeed maybe the closest game out of the entire round.
2: And then finally, on Sunday, uh, the Roosters-Rabbits go again after they went last week. It means a lot more this week. Uh, no Joey Manu, of course, for the Roosters. But Sam, with the firepower they do have, are the Roosters the most likely outside of the top four sides to go all the way?
7: Uh, no, I'll give Melbourne um, that title. Just g- again, I know uh, as Jarrod mentioned about the papering over the cracks, they're not. They're far from full capacity, and by their standards, are faltering coming to the finals. But I, I refuse to bet against Craig Bellamy in a, in a finals context. He's got that uh, that golden touch when it comes here to be able to um, you know lift lift a and, and find the right moving pieces. But the, the, the Roosters are on a roll, uh, and they are dangerous. from their, their, um, any, any team with James Tedesco playing with the form that he's in, and the form of fairness he's been in for three or four years now. Um, is always going to be a, a serious threat. I find it really hard to um, cheer for any team that's got Matt Lodge, and I include that as uh, during his time for the Warriors um, in that stint. Uh, but it is a uh, it is a formidable team playing good footy. I definitely think they're going to get up uh, on the bunnies. That rivalry is always the X, X factor. Um, you know, any, any two teams that uh, hate each other so much that some, one team creates something called a book of feuds to maintain a, a sense of history between how much they hate each other's guts and how they poach each other's players. Ju- Sometimes I think they do it just to piss each other off. I don't think they even care whether that player's in their team anymore. Uh, it, it's just about um, winding each other up. And uh, that level of intensity and a sudden death um, environment, strap me in, I'm in. I know what I'm doing when that game's on. You won't be uh, persuading me to try anything else.
2: Yeah, no, what about you, Gerard? Have you got the Roosters? you got the Rabbits? What do you think?
12: Well, look, I actually um, I, I think that the Bunnies this week are going to offer something quite a bit different than what they did last week. It was a bit of a dress rehearsal-type match um, uh, to open Allianz Stadium, and I feel like now that they've they've got a bit more a bit more firepower coming back. They've got Campbell Graham coming back in the centres, uh, as well as uh, Cameron Murray will be more of a factor. Hopefully, uh, he's, he's recovered from his uh, concussion as well. So uh, I feel like uh, also Damien Cook, huge add uh, back into that um, Rabbitohs forward pack. So I feel like they might offer quite a different attack uh, than what they did last week. I'm not saying they were holding anything back. Uh, I'm just saying that they may offer quite a lot more uh, for the Roosters to contend with this week. Obviously, the Chooks will go in as favourites. Home crowd advantage, somewhat. Uh, I see that they've had a, a, a bit of a ticketing glitch in terms of uh, South Sydney put supporters not being able to get hold of the prime tickets. <laughs> uh, interesting that one. Nothing like a bit of home advantage. But um, yeah, I actually I'm going to I'm going to tip for the bunnies to um, to just spoil the uh, the party there of the chooks.
2: All right, gentlemen, uh, I'll, I'll I'll just leave you with this uh, before I ask you to tip a grand final winner. But uh, 1986 was the last time Parramatta won the Premiership, and Top Gun was number one at the box office that year. This year, Top Gun is the number one uh, movie at the box office, so it's obviously inevitable, but uh, who are you picking to win the grand final this year, Sam?
7: Uh, if I if, uh, push for a pick, I go Cowboys. Um, just I, I feel I've got that um, sparkle, something different to them, but it's uh, I find it really hard to, you know, if, if you ask me to put my money on something, I find it really hard to go past the Panthers. I've just been too good uh, all year and to back up what they were last year, with this it's a young team. I don't feel there, um, I don't feel any sense of complacency in what they're doing. Um, but um, my uh, my my tip is the um, is the Cowboys. But if I'm putting it's with your mortgage payment on it, um, Ricardo. But with mine, um, I'm, I'll play it safe with the, with the Panthers. Panthers, uh, Gerard.
12: Yeah, i'm liking the panthers as well and that's not just me cheering for the incoming warriors coach andrew webster to succeed i think that they have yeah, they've, they've set the table they've done the, the all the groundwork over the past few seasons and i think they've got everything that it takes to go all the way i actually think it could well be a uh, a rematch grand final of what we might see tonight with the uh the panthers panthers versus the eels
2: yeah, all right, looking forward to that. Now, of course, as the NRL is starting to wind down, the NFL is just getting underway, Gerard, Today, the first game of the season kicks off. The defending champion uh, Rams take on the favourites for the season, the Buffalo Bills. I've just seen uh, Von Miller walk into... Uh, the tunnel in the dressing room. He's literally walked in, a cap-on, a baseball shirt that is open to the, like, completely unbuttoned, so abs out, chains on, uh, just boss move uh, coming through. Who you got in this opening game, the Bills or the Rams?
12: Well, first of all, I'd just like to point out that's exactly how I walk into the SEN office every morning. (laughs) Um, Also, uh, I I think this is going to be a huge game. For me, this is uh, such a great time of year. I always think of the Andy Williams old classic song. That's the most wonderful time of the year. People always thought that it was a Christmas song that was actually uh, supposed to be for the, uh, for the NFL season. But uh, I, I think that this could be a cracking first game to start the year uh, bills. Everybody's got all the expectations on them to go all the way this year. They've, added some pieces you mentioned Von Miller they've added a couple more key pieces as well got a bit of a struggling secondary for the uh for the start of the season so uh, they may maybe struggle in this first game perhaps the LA Rams at home of course so hard to beat last year's Super Bowl champs uh, I think this could be quite a high-scoring game uh, in prospect. And, uh, yeah, I, I think maybe maybe the Rams to get home in this first game, but the, the Bills are definitely looking good for the, uh, the rest of the season.
2: Yeah, looking forward to that kicking off around 12.30. Sam, uh, of course, uh, our last weekend of having the supercars at Pukki as well. Uh, are, are you heading out at any point?
7: No, unfortunately, uh, my uh, young lad's football uh, commitments down here keeping us in Tarong. I would love to have uh, come up to farewell uh, Pookie. Listen, I'm I'm not one of those guys who got petrol um, pumping through my veins, and, and if you are, I suggest you see a, a medical professional about it. It doesn't sound healthy. But the uh, but the con- but the concept of uh, not having Pookie more does bring you know a lot of sadness to me. I, I understand why, right? It's Pookie is not up to. Uh, the same scratch that it was, but for those of us who were there to watch Murph dominate, to see uh, you know, to see the, the great battles between the likes of, um, uh, uh guys, why have I forgotten their names? This is painful. Uh, but uh, Scotty McLaughlin and Shane Van Gisbergen, uh, they they w- would rip it up together, literally ripping <laughs> ripping the tarmac off that poor old track uh, as they were hooning uh, around those corners. It's been a wonderful uh, service servant for. Uh, New Zealand Motorsport, they have the, the V8s there, I mean, of, of motorsport, V8s is the one I feel most partial to, it feels like the rugby league of race cars, uh, and it really has that um, kind of anything-can-happen feel to it, I really, I, I think it's going to be a sad loss, but hopefully everyone just gets out and enjoys Pookie for what it is uh, It is going, it has to go for, uh, even if it wasn't being taken over by the thoroughbreds, I, I don't think it'd be getting me more races either, so... Sad times, but uh, some very, very good memories for, uh, for a lot of Kiwi fans there.
2: Yeah, and speaking of memories, uh, we lost a great man in the world of sports broadcasting in New yeah. Zealand uh, just the other day, Willie Losse of course, the Tongan Torpedo, part of uh, Auckland and North Harbour rugby teams over the years. He was a New Zealand under-21 rep. He Captain Tonga to the nineteen ninety five Rugby World Cup uh, fifty five passed away of a heart attack in South Africa while prepping for the Sevens World Cup. Sam, I know that you knew Willie well, mate. Um, you got a few words for
7: him? Yeah, look, Ricardo, you and I probably would have met uh, Willie about the about the same time. About two thousand and one, two thousand and two, mm-hmm. um, when he came back from Japan. And he started working in uh, in radio and in the sales area, and he, he wanted to get into Into sports journalism and commentary. And listen, I was a a, a reporter, barely out of nappies, you know, with my ridiculous goat fluff um, uh, goatee. And I got sent to take this guy, this towering colossus for human, out to North Harbour Stadium, where he played, right? This is the team he played for, uh, walking through there and show him how to go cover a, a. a, a rugby game for radio I was kind of a bit embarrassed by it but he was nothing but gracious charming i mean he was like, literally like everywhere we went it was like oh willie 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 and here 's me trying to tell him what he should be doing it was it was it was ridiculous uh, he was clearly um, you know we would have been seen as beneath him but he never made anyone feel that way he never made anyone feel that they were beneath him he never made anyone feel that their time was anything but important to him he was gracious he was charming he worked his tail off he 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 didn't. He, he didn't come in as a former All Black. He came as an ex Tongan international who played a bit of provincial rugby, and he worked himself up to calling uh, games at a high level, including at the Seventh Circuit, uh, where he's perhaps, uh, perhaps best known as well. He did that all on his own. This was not about diversity or this is a time where he needed to pull himself up by the bootstraps and he did it all himself. I've got nothing but admiration for him as a broadcaster and love for him as a human. It's a really sad time and uh, for everyone who knows Willie and uh, has been lucky enough to have him in his life, I send all my love and thoughts, especially to his family. Cause it's, uh, it's sad, man. It's really sad.
2: Yeah, thanks very much, Sam. I really appreciate you, uh, you you giving us your thoughts on Willie Gerard, Thanks for joining us on the panel today as well. Gentlemen, go well. Enjoy your weekend of footy.
12: Thanks very much, mate. Looking
2: forward to it. Cheers. It is uh, 14 away from 11 here on SENZ.
13: Biggest (laughs) fan. (laughs)
2: If loveracing.co.nz, or loveracing.nz is New Zealand's biggest racing fan, the second biggest racing fan is in studio now with us, Louis Herman Watt. How are you, sir?
9: I am very good, and I've got some information hot off the press, exclusive for Mornings with Ricardo. Mm. Um, Ricardo reckons, well, I just pre-recorded an interview for tomorrow morning on my Mail Run show with the one Owen Patrick Bosson, the country's best Mm. jockey, one of the best judges in the world, and he's got some very important information for punters because tomorrow will be a heavy track at Hastings so come to your radio just huddle around and listen very close the favourite for the Al Rocker Sir Colin Meads trophy in race 5 Dynastic is fresh up on a heavy track his trials were below average on heavy tracks and a $2.70 favourite tag I don't think is worthy and I get the feeling speaking to Opie. He was very suspicious of how well dynastics gonna go. All the class in the world, not a knock on the horse, mm. but will need a run under his belt. And Opie agreed with that sentiment and the heavy tracks are concerned. $2.70 in a race when you've got Fellini at three bucks, you've got Golden Darcy at fourteens, uh, you've got Pierre at seven fifty, even Duncan Creek, Alabama Gold and double figures as well. There are so many options here and from a wide gate on that heavy track it might be a bit of an ask for dynastic. Yeah. All right, there you go. One to avoid rather than one to tip. And on Imperatries, everybody's saying, What about Imperatries? Wow. He just said, class is class, and she looks like a super horse, so wouldn't be too worried about the heavy track. She might just be too good for them. fifty. all the best punters. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the mail run.
2: Yeah, good stuff. Thanks very much, Louie. I love racing.nz. For all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, replays, profiles, and more, eat, drink, and get racy, round up your crew and book now at thegrandtour.nz.
1: the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ
2: a couple of minutes away from eleven o'clock, Pip Morris from the TAB joins us and Pip, a big weekend for you guys with the NRL finals getting underway.
13: Oh absolutely, Ricardo. Good morning to you and a couple of nice plays too on tonight's game, the Battle of the West, three thousand on Penriss, head to head at a dollar thirty-eight. There's been some boosted odds too on Brian Suhoe. The first try scorer at eleven dollars. Looks to be the most popular option, wasn't tonight. He'd gone into nine dollars from there and also there's a nice little NPC and NRL multi going on 4,000 on Canterbury, Hawkes Bay, Kenrith and Melbourne Storm all head to head match result there Ricardo to return 10.4 thousand so someone taking advantage of that overall mega multi buster that we've got available at the TAB as far as the rest of the NRL games go it's pretty even Storm and Raiders head to head beating pretty close 50 50 and look no surprise that the Raiders uh, remarkable record there at Amy Stadium lately. And the Storm 1-12, to the most popular winning team in margin option. And just quickly, big day out of Hastings tomorrow. $2,000 on Enrico and at $13 it's been really nicely back there in the last race in the fixed odds option. And just check out Punters Lounge because they're running a Punters Club there at Cork Space and some of the profits, Ricardo, will be going towards the Cancer Society, so that's a really good initiative.
2: Good stuff, Pip. Go well. Enjoy your
1: weekend. After 11, we've got news and sport. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
2: This is SENZ mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy, of course, in Aussie calling uh, the cricket. He was a busy man yesterday with the second Chapel Hadley ODI. Uh, so you got Ricardo Ball sitting in the hot seat for him. And, uh, of course, this weekend or tonight, in fact, uh, the big one on TVNZ. You can check it out. It is king in the ring and uh, one of the participants, not in the eight man, but he has a big fight too at Cruiserwake, is the man they call the hammer. Mark Timms. G'day, Mark. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. It's a story. How's uh, how's CKB been the last couple of
8: weeks? Would have been uh, place would have been fizzing. Yeah, yeah, it's really good at the moment. We have just got um, Israel kind of coming into camp at the moment. We got Dan coming into camp as well. Um, we have got a bunch of MMA guys all fighting in two weeks. We got so this at the moment, like our workouts on the Saturday night, like the spider workout, we're doing. Uh, probably eight or nine guys all at the same time. Yeah, it's it's crazy in there at the moment. Yeah, I bet, mate. I bet. I mean, I know that you. We're
2: going to talk your fight in a minute, and I don't want you know, don't want to make it all about like Israel or Dan. But given that you, you're training with those guys, you're sparring with those guys a lot, and of course they're multi-faceted in terms of MMA, they've got to be grappling, they've got to be doing all that sort of stuff. How does that work for you when you have to go spar those guys? Do you just spar them standing up, or do you do other things as
8: well? uh that i i train mma as well so um we do do mma rounds and stuff like that but uh knowing that i have um, a kickboxing fight coming up that is pretty kind to me um and just usually they just won't take me down or it will be quite kind of like minimal sort of like if we do go on the floor then we sort of, they sort of like let let me build up back to striking again because we're still going 5 minute rounds so at least i get like yeah a good 3 4 minutes of striking in and then there'll be some other sort of like uh yeah like grappling involved or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, they just just they just don't go too wrestling heavy on me. Well oh,
2: that's gotta be nice. That's gotta be nice. No
8: no no one likes to cuddle on the mat for too long. No, definitely <laughs> not. No. <laughs> me me in particular as well be in the nail most of the time. <laughs> it
2: does it help, mate? Does it help? You yeah, uh hopefully you can be uh the hammer though uh tonight. Uh you know, your fight at cruiserweight um against Mandela Ale is a uh, i know that he's a uh, southpaw how much do you know about him beyond that uh
8: regard, in regards to like yeah his technical ability and stuff like that i've pretty well um pretty well, researched him pretty well um yeah he's a southpaw that has a particularly good like right leg not necessarily the, the the more common thing is the left side with a southpaw his power side but yeah his right leg is is probably even a bit more educated than his left side so uh a little bit, a um, little bit different to your more conventional southpaw, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting fight for me. He's very, it's a tidy fighter. How do you have to uh, change what you do in the ring when you're fighting a bloke that's southpaw? Uh, it's getting you positionally. You have to just be a little bit, um, a little bit more onto it. Like, oh, you try and fight from the outside of the lead foot. So you try and step outside to line up your power. Um, but you have to still be good from both 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 sides because they're very good at getting that position themselves but i would say like defensively is get your defence down that's like the best like the best thing to like sort of get sorted straight away because everything is kind of sort of in reverse a little bit um when it comes to defence and that makes up like 50% of exchanges you know so yeah just with this fight I've just definitely been uh, just polishing up the the sort of defensive side of things.
2: Yeah, I mean obviously the lead leg, the lead hand are, are a lot closer together when you're fighting a southpaw. Um what does it open up for you that maybe you wouldn't fighting a conventional fighter? I mean is is the liver shot more on because the liver's closer to you or I think
8: the liver shot is on but it takes probably a little bit more setting up um, than normal um, and placed sort of place a little bit different because you have got the leg and the hand more so in the way, maybe a little bit less time to less distance to travel. Um, but if you watch guys like, um, like I watched a lot of Bernard Hopkins, uh, fighting southpaws and stuff, and he goes to the liver, uh, regardless, um, of their stance and usually uses it as a way to sort of, um, get, get off the ropes and stuff like that and uses it as a way to control a guy. Um, which I think is is an interesting way of using it, not necessarily as a devastating punch, but he definitely aims for it so that he can freeze a guy so that he can like move around them and get sent to ring again. So I find that quite interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the different tactics that go into it. Eh? I mean, I guess that's the other thing is that you know they'll they'll be aware if you if you uh, I, I guess bait it a wee bit and, and make it look like that that's where you're going, and then then it could open up opportunities upstairs as well.
8: Yeah, for sure, definitely, and like getting around that lead shoulder is um is is also another problem with the southpaw because the shoulder is pretty much always in front of the chin for the left hook. So going downstairs and then bringing it back up again can sort of disconnect the shoulder and the chin a little bit so that you can uh, get your fist in there. Now, you are
2: the um, IKF English champion. You're a master champion as well. You've been fighting in glory too. Um, what does this fight mean for you? Is this a stepping stone to get somewhere else or uh, how do you see this? uh
8: t- to be honest like i'm just happy to just be busy really like um at the moment i've uh since the pandemic and all that nonsense has happened i'm just happy just to get back to work again um i don't see like mandela as like a stepping stone or anything like that it's just a case of getting busy again getting active again i used to fight so regularly and then covid i, I had a contract with glory that sort of kept i kept that stopped me from fighting elsewhere, even though they weren't getting me fights then COVID and all this. So for me personally, it's just about, it's just about putting on a good, a good, just putting on good fights, you know, like I think um, people enjoy watching me fight, just get out there and just fight and just enjoy it. And um, yeah, like I like thinking of these fights as uh, research projects. (laughs) Like I'm going in there and it's, it's interesting to me, like Mandela as an opponent is interesting to me because because he's a Southpaw, he fights in a particular way, and then it's a way of like putting things together to to defeat that style. It's not really like I don't really look too far past um, an opponent as a way to get me somewhere or anything like that. Not at this stage of my career. If it does, it does, which is great. But over the last three four years, all of us fighters have have suffered. Um, unless we're signed to big organisations, we've all suffered from, yeah, not being able to fight or knowing the future is not certain so much. So I suppose, yeah, I don't really look at that sort of thing now. I just see it all as like, oh, this is a good practical test for my research project. <laughs> <laughs>
2: there's, uh, there's a bunch of fights on the card outside of yours as well. Obviously, there's a couple of bo- uh, Kiwi boys also fighting and Rosca- uh, Oscar Rimihana and uh, Byron Poynton. Um those guys have both held belts, former New Zealand champions in different weight divisions. I know they fought at middleweight, fought at cruiser. we are about, about they going to sit uh, uh, tonight?
8: I believe that fight's at 80 kilos. Um, I think it would probably be some sort of like eliminator for the 80-kilo tournament, I would say. Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Have you got a steer on that? I mean, I know that um, you know uh, Byron will be coming up a weight a little bit, won't he?
8: Yeah, I th- I think I did last I last saw him fight at 80 as well. I think his last two fights have been at 80, so maybe he's settled into that weight now and uh he feels more comfortable at it. I know he fought Terence Montgomery. I believe that was at 79 or 80 and then before that he fought uh the former king of the ring champion Victor Medvedkov. I believe that was at 80 as well. So he he's definitely had a couple of like tests at that weight so at the, the, the highest level as well, so he must be pretty comfortable at 80 now.
2: Yeah, that's great, mate. I mean, I'm looking forward. There's so many good fights and we haven't even got to, to the eight man yet, but we will get there. We will get there because I know uh, that there is also another CKB fighter and Navajo Sterling, who's a two-time king in the ring champion, uh, gunning for a world title uh, tonight as well. Uh, you know Navajo, you've seen him train, you've seen him fight. Uh, he's uh, going to be up against a guy from Aussie and Jesse Astill who's the one multiple uh, championships and those guys are fighting for the world kickboxing federation world heavyweight crown.
8: This is a, this is a massive fight. Yeah. Great fight. And, uh, definitely think that Navajo takes it, but it would probably be like the biggest test, uh, that he's had, uh, regardless of, uh, winning his two King in the ring titles. Um, but yeah, in like recent years, this will be his biggest test, uh, because the guy that this, uh, this Jesse, Jesse Astell is his name, is mm. equally strong, athletic young man. You know, like I've um, watched him fight as well. He can bang. And uh, he's got a very tidy, like Muay Thai style. Um, but I think that Navajo will be a bit too much for him. Um, but yeah, de- definitely very, um, a 50-50 fight, you know, like. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely back Navajo.
2: Yeah, nice, nice. All right, well, that's another one to look out for. And the king in the ring, uh, of course, this is a massive fight card, and you can catch it all on uh, TVNZ oh. coming up tonight. Uh, tickets available from Event Fighter Stadium as well. Uh, we should also talk... Because it's this is a uh, what do you call a multi-discipline card, isn't it? We've got boxing as well, and the uh, WBA International Women's Flyweight Boxing Title uh, is on the line, and the uh, World Eliminator uh, as it's a World Title Eliminator as well. Michelle Pressure Preston. Um, out of ETK, uh, taking on a fighter I don't know much about out of Thailand and Phaneluk Kong Song, uh, but Michelle's story, 43, she's a mum, she owns her own business, been out of the ring four years, she's made a comeback, put everybody on their bum that needs to be put on their bum to get to this point, and away she goes
8: again. Yeah, amazing, inspiring stuff, yeah, for sure. To, like, come back at her age and and perform like she's performing is, is brilliant, you know, like, a lot of people, yeah, would so sort of, it's it's amazing when it's like someone like leaves the sport and then they're like you know what <laughs> I'm going to give it I'm going give it another go you know like I think I can do a little bit more and uh, unfortunately it doesn't work like that for men men just try and do that and they don't have the testosterone or anything anymore to like <laughs> be able to perform but the good thing about women is like they get stronger that like when they have children and stuff like that they come back even stronger. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, nice.
2: All right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've seen much of the Tie Fighter uh, funnel look, Kong Song. She's going up against, but um, given the way she's dispatched so many others in New Zealand and Australia at fifty-one kilos, uh, you backing Michelle for the win here?
8: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no beating her. I don't think.
13: Yeah,
2: I think I agree with you, mate. We should. Talk. I mean, the thing is called King of the Ring and it's a Trans-Tasman Super Heavyweight kickboxing event. It is an eight-man challenge as well. So all the other fights we've talked about are nothing to do with this. This is even more fights. So it's a massive card. Uh, You can see it all on TVNZ Duke and, of course, at Event Finder Stadium. Go to Event Finder and grab your tickets there. But I hope that they've reinforced the ring, Mark. Is all I can say because there are some big, big bodies here. I mean, it's super heavy, including Dave the Titan Tuitupo, six foot eight, one hundred and seventy kilos. What is going on?
8: I know when you when you just listen to the stats, you uh, you think, God, these blokes, how do they even move? But then when you see him hit the pads and you see him blowing people's jaws off. you like, they really can move, you know, like, and that's the best thing about the super heavyweight tournament is, is yeah, like people's, uh, people's wigs are getting blown off left, right and center. I don't think there's any point fires, you know? <laughs> it's not a finesse, it's not a finesse sport at super heavy, is it? No, it's a whole, it's honestly a whole different ball game. Like when, even with the, with um, heavyweights in the gym and stuff like that, sometimes you think, God, it doesn't look that good, you know. Like, or you see him at the pads, and you're like, maybe it doesn't look that good, or whatever. But then you f- you feel them when you hold the pad, and you're like, oh, that's all it takes, okay. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> get it now. You, know, like, you just have to you just have to touch somebody with that, and that's yeah. it. All
2: right. <laughs> you you haven't uh, haven't put yourself in that place. You haven't haven't offered to spar him.
8: <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> like I'm a I avoid like. I spar some. I, I didn't spar such heavy guys since I moved to New Zealand. Actually, like um, sort of, you, I think Kiwis are just obviously just generally just much bigger people. Um, so I'm used to sparring heavy guys, but then there's there's heavy guys that are 110 kilos or 100 kilos, which is all good, and then there's guys that are 170 kilos, and uh, if they kick you in the leg, then you're not going training for another fortnight.
2: Yeah, mate. It doesn't sound like a it doesn't sound like a great idea. He's on one side of the eight man. On the other side of the eight man, I think these guys are the two favourites. There's a guy called the Balkan Bear, Brandon Perisic. Uh, He's out of Aussie. He's a big man in his own right. He's 130 kegs He's still giving away 40 kgs. Uh, I don't know how much you know about uh, the Balkan Bear, but I mean, it looks very much like these two will collide
8: uh, in in the final. Is that how you're reading it? He's looking that way. Yeah. They're He's a bad man that uh, Balkan Bear. I saw they just fought recently, not long ago, with him taking the win. But I think um, he got dropped. I think he got dropped in the first round or something like that. So um, that'll be a very competitive fight. Um, there's also a couple of others in there. That uh, the thing is, the super heavies are crazy, aren't they? It's like anything could happen. Like uh, there's a guy uh, Lee Carra, who's who's also like he's good and he's also he holds a win, I think, over the Titan as well. So there's dark horses at that weight. Either there's dark horses in tournaments and then there's a super heavyweight to where anybody can be a dark horse because they only have to touch you on the chin. It's that
2: that punches chance thing that they talk about in boxing, it's like this is the ultimate puncher's chance
8: division. Yeah, there is a times ten modifier on Punches Chance <laughs> for uh, everyone in everyone in that eight man. <laughs> oh, looking forward to it man
2: the uh, Trans-Tasman Super Heavyweight T- uh, Tournament Dave the Titan Tui Tupo is the uh, is the defending champion, a uh, whole bunch of fighters on that card as well like I said TVNZ Duke, you can watch it live for free tonight if you're in New Zealand if you want to get along, tickets through Event Finder, it's at Event Finder Stadium on the North Shore and you can catch the hammer in action there as well Mark Tim's Mark thank you very much for uh, coming on and having a chat and best of luck in your bout as well, hopefully we uh, see your arm raised at the end of the night. Thanks, mate. I
8: appreciate it. Cheers for having me on.
1: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
2: It's 11.24 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. You can tune into SENZ every Sunday from midday for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed Show, hosted by Greyhound experts Mark Rosinowski and Dan Roberts. You won't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. And speaking of dogs, Rob Roper knows a thing or two about dogs. He's a trainer. He's got a a few dogs running this weekend out at Manukau. How are you doing, Rob? Good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Welcome to the show. Thanks for giving us some time. Thank you. No worries. Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, we're coming out, uh, just coming out of winter, um, and, and you're running this weekend. We've had plenty of water around. I know the tracks are predominantly synthetic these days, but what difference does it make to you as a trainer if you've got a dog running on a wet track versus a dry track?
11: Oh, it probably doesn't have the same sort of bearing as a horse. Um, there probably our dogs that get through a, a wetter track, opposed to some that don't. But it certainly doesn't have a bearing like it does on the horses.
2: Yeah, so it's not something that you uh, you know you tweak training methods or, or the way you train training that depending on on what the seasons are doing.
11: No, no, I don't. Um, no, I don't even think about it. To be honest, probably where you're drawn on the day and how the track's playing is probably more of a bearing. You know. Yeah. How How long have you been training? Oh, mate, I probably got back. I got into it. I've been around dogs probably since I was about eight. The old man had a dog up in Wongaree when the old dog club was going and the back in the um, Mount Smart days and the Kumu days, and then probably got going on my own right probably about, I reckon, about 97. i got a couple of pups from Australia, and then I was in and out of it for, a, oh, I don't know, for about five years there doing the marriage thing and breaking up, <laughs> splitting up and carrying on. I was in and out of dogs, and... Um, and then I sort of got back into it, I reckon, about eight years ago. I bought another couple of pups from down south and sort of been trucking along since then, yeah.
2: Yeah, now I, I recognised your name when it came through on our, on our sheet of who we were interviewing today because I remember talking to Jerry O'Keefe, uh, the Aussie trainer, who came here and won the Silver oh, yeah. Collar. And he, yeah. I mean, he mentioned to me then that he was staying with you. So you got, uh, I guess, greyhounds, it's a bit like a family, is it? It's a reasonably small industry, you kind of know everyone?
11: Yeah, no, he was good, mate. We just, he came over and we treated him as part of the family and I'm still in contact with him now and he's just recently sent me, organised an Aussie dog to come over to the scene for a month. So, yeah, good contact going forward, mate, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's always good. And, of course, so you, it may be an opportunity for you to get some dogs over that way as well at some point?
11: Yeah, well, if I can turn this dog around and get his form turned around, it certainly probably opens up uh, certain doors with people over there, which is always good.
2: Yeah, definitely. Now, on Sunday, you've got a few runners uh, at Manukau, um, starting in race one with Kapiello. I understand she's she's pretty fresh. How do you expect her to go?
11: Yeah, well, she got lost at um, Cambridge yesterday. Probably would have never beaten the winner, but she certainly got lost on the home turn, and I was supposed to go down last Monday and trial it. She had trialled there a couple of months ago over the 3.25, but my plan was to trial her there last Monday. But um, work commitments, I just had to trial her up on Sunday at Manukau. And, um, yeah, she's got a lot of pace out of the boxes. She goes good early. Um, sorry, mate, that's a, I'm out at the airport painting. That's a bloody plane, go, plane going up the <laughs> runway. <laughs>
3: All
11: oh, good. that is loud. Oh, I'll just pop back inside here. Um, yeah, so I think she'll be tough to beat Come back to Manukau on um, Sunday. That's where she's done most of her trialling and... Breaking in and that, so as I say, she's got quite a bit of pace. So if she finds the lead, yeah, they'll probably be in trouble behind her. Hmm.
2: Yes, yeah, so you think she'll be more at home uh, at Manukau because she knows it better than she would be at Cambridge, yeah?
11: Definitely, mate. And I've nombed her up for next Thursday at Cambridge, so that run would have benefited her down there as well. So, um, yeah, no, I think she'll go good on Sunday. Yeah, yeah.
2: we we'll no. do. Race five, uh, number three, Buckland Boy. What can you tell us about this dog?
11: Oh, well, he's made his form slip, but it's just due more to bad box draws. He's just an out-and-out railer, and he only works when he gets on the rail. And I think in his last 13 starts, I think I might have counted, he drew inside four, I think on one occasion, which he won. He drew the three down at Cambridge. Um, just hasn't had the best of luck lately. Um, better box draw. Let's hope for a better, better showing, you know, and I'm sure he will.
2: Yeah. He's not a bad dog. Okay, good. And then uh finally race seven, uh, number five, big time Felix. Um, probably should find this one uh, a bit more to his liking than recent races.
11: Yeah, well he slipped through to C five when he came back off the break and um nah, he's not he's not a C five sprinter. He'll he'll go with them on his day, he'll place if he draws against the rail. Um, back down to C four. He can jump, but he's got a wide runner inside him. Um, and once again, he'll he'll need to find the fence to show his best. But mate, he gives he gives a hundred percent every time, and he's a good, he's just a good, honest dog, you know.
2: Yeah, no, nah, good stuff, Rob. All right, mate. Hey, listen, I know it sounds like you're busy out of the airport painting. Luckily, they haven't got you painting planes. But uh, thanks for your time, mate, <laughs> and, uh, and and best of luck at Maniky no on Sunday, eh? Thanks, buddy. Cheers, Rob Roper there uh, Greyhound trainer out of Auckland and uh, yeah he's got three dogs running there as I mentioned in Manukau on Sunday afternoon Stumped, it is nearly time $50 TAB bonus bet could be yours Give us a call now 0800 150 811 0800 150 811 Latest with news and supporters right now
8: had a good match here
2: Stumped by Smithy Ian Smith
8: really is top class at his job
6: Yes, it's time one more time this week for Stumped on SNZ Mornings with Ricardo Ball substituting in there for Ian Smith while he's away on cricket duties in Strayer. Of course, that's a bit depressing to talk about, so we're not even going to talk about that in Stumped today. It's not even a category, Ricardo. We've got a a $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs to hopefully give someone an epic start to their weekend. First on the line, we're going down to Seatown in Cambridge. Kevin, come in, mate.
11: How you going,
6: guys? All right. Yeah,
2: good. Kev, yourself?
11: Yeah, I'm good, mate. Just a thought, though, in
2: recognition of the passing of our queen, we probably should up the pool to
6: about a hundred. I reckon. <laughs> 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 nicely done. Nicely done. Well, uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll check with the powers of be. We'll see how we go. If not, potentially, maybe on Monday. Uh, so, Kevin, the categories today that you can choose from: soccer, football, tennis, and in honor of the start of the season. The NFL, take your pick. Oh, which one would Ricardo know nothing
11: about? Um, football. One? football. <laughs> oh, no, hell no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's go, Tennis.
9: All right.
6: Yeah, I heard, yeah, Ricardo knows nothing about football at all. What are you talking about? All right tennis questions. Here we go. Good luck to you Kevin. First one What is Nick Kyrgios's current world ranking?
4: Ooh, nothing. Uh, let's go 10. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
6: Kato, over to you.
2: Uh, we well, were seated 23rd for this tournament and obviously there were a couple of players missing, like Djokovic, and that so pushed that out slightly. I'm going to say 26th.
4: One of the worst things I have ever oh, seen God done goodness. on a cricket field.
6: Man, very close. I uh, like your logic there. And he wishes he was 10th in the world. He is currently 25th. Oh, one off. The way he's going, he's he's on Man. the way up. Second question for you, Kevin. How long did the quarterfinal between Yannick Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz go for at the US Open?
11: Oh God, I started watching it
6: and, uh, uh, ah, let's go. I'm going for hours and minutes.
11: Hours and minutes, okay. Uh, Let's go five hours, 16 minutes.
4: One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
6: Ricardo. I reckon that's harsh on Kevin. No, I was about to say, quiet please. If you don't get this, I mean, you get the either way because of the rules of the game. But if you don't get it, that was, yeah.
2: That was incredibly close. I don't think that's one of the worst things. It was five hours and 15 minutes.
6: <laughs> that's not
2: complex, oh, down the record,
6: right in the slot,
1: <laughs> it goes.
6: I'm, I'm sorry, uh, the rules of stumped. are a very harsh mistress there. So, Kevin, you are out back to the pavilion. Mark from Christchurch, come in, mate.
2: Hey, you boys? Yeah, good, mate. How's your tennis knowledge? Oh, God. You (laughs) use a racket. That's about all I know. (laughs) Perfect. We're equal. Ball and a racket, you're off to a
6: great start, mate. All right, but there is only one question to go for the $50 TAB bonus bet. Who knocked out number two seed Rafa Nadal in the fourth round of the US Open? I
11: have Oh, God.
6: Curious?
4: One of the worst things I have yeah. ever seen done on a
6: cricket field. i say it again. He wishes.
2: Francis TFO. Just
1: a couple of chips down away great. Away great. in the slot and away it goes.
6: So, Kevin from Cambridge, if you're still listening, mate, you got your wish. We're going to go up to $100 on Monday. Yeah, boom.
2: <laughs> boom. Go well, mate. Have a great weekend, bro. Cheers, you too. Good luck. Roast, uh, the yeah, indeed. Indeed. He was going to say good luck roasters. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's all right. We can beat them in the final. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. And it is uh, 24 away from midday. When we come back, Greg O'Connor joins us. We're going to talk harness, probably some NRL as well, just quietly.
1: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on S C N Z.
2: It's 18 away from midday here on SENZ and uh, joining us now to talk harness racing is a man you can catch on here on SENZ talking harness racing action every Sunday from midday uh, alongside his good mate Mick Guerin and you can check out hrnz.co.nz for more information sorry Trot's talk is Sundays from 11 thanks to the people at Harness Racing New Zealand Uh, G'day Greg O'Connor how are you sir?
4: Yeah, Ricardo, very good morning to you. I'm well, mate, and why wouldn't you be? Spring has sprung, and the Eddington Raceway tonight is another step up from the last couple of weeks, and we start to see some of the big bangers in both gates, the pacing and trotting, appear uh, at Eddington tonight.
2: Yeah, and how's how's the uh, how's the track looking, mate?
4: Ah, beautiful! Yeah, we've got a perfect uh, spring day here in Canterbury today. Uh, John Denton and his team do an amazing job at Addington for the amount of racing they have on it. Yes, it's an all-weather track, but uh, you know you want the horses bouncing off at Ricardo, enjoying the run, and and coming back to the stables uh, feeling good about life because they've got some big assignments coming up uh, a couple of months away from the IRT New Zealand Cup. Tickets went on sale last week and. Uh, they are really flying out the gate. I'm not exaggerating most of the corporate hospitality because people want to have a party, and why wouldn't you after the last couple of years, uh, have gone, and uh, those public tickets, uh, I'll, I'll almost guarantee it, they will sell out. I don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. So if anyone who wants to go, go to addington.co.nz, um, get your tickets now, don't be disappointed.
2: And if you, uh, if, you, if you want to get some scratch together to buy one of those tickets, mate, where would you be putting your coin uh, tonight at Addington?
4: Yeah, look, uh, like I mentioned, there's a couple of great races. There's a race called the Ordeal Trotting Cup, which is one of the key lead-ups to the Renwick Farms Dominion, the big two-miler at uh, Cup Week. And I like one each way tonight, Ricardo. Uh, His name is Oscar Bonavina. He won the New Zealand Free-for-All at Cup Meeting last year. He's had a couple of uh, runs back... This time in, improved with both of those, and he's about seven or eight dollars. So There's a very, very good field and, and an outstanding trotter and muscle mountain in it. But he is first up, muscle mountain. And I reckon Oscar Bonavina, if he does things right for Mark Purden, he's a great each way bet. So that's race five, number eight. Oscar Bonavina on to the feature pace, which is the Avon City Ford New Brighton Cup. Great run, first up from a horse called Laver who's trained by Jeff and James Dunn. They have two in the race. They've got the Falcon, too. But Laver's paying $6, Ricardo Again, great on the each way. Very brave horse, likes to work into the race and sticks on great. So each way, race eight, number nine. And the best bet of the night by far for me is race nine, number five, Franco Mack, to be driven by Natalie Rasmussen. Nearly won the size stakes on Cup Day last year. Got beaten a nose in another big sales series race at Alexandra Park. Has trialled up really nicely. Support for the horse already, Ricardo, from four dollars into three dollars sixty. I think it's the better of the night. Race nine, number five, Franco Mac.
2: Mate, I'm just I'm just investing as we speak. So, uh, thank you, thank you for those, uh, Greg. And of course, I know you love your code as well. And we uh, beginning of springs also beginning of NRL finals time. Uh, who who do you like, mate? Who do you like uh, to uh, this weekend? Where are you uh, Where are you looking for the best ga- game of the round?
4: Well, I'm looking at all four, because there's history for all of those four clashes, and tonight, I mean, Penrith-Parramatta, with Parra beating them twice already this season, how good. Um, I think Penrith will probably win Ricardo, but I don't think they're over the line, so terrific clash. The one I'm looking forward to, though, once again, it'll be Sunday, South, the Roosters. Uh, I think the Roosters are very backable to win the Premiership at $13. I know it hasn't been done outside the top four, but gee, they've got a great roster, and uh, I Think they'll possibly have to play Penrith in the preliminary final, but you know what it's like—you've got to beat the top side to win the premiership, whether it's in the grand final or the game before. I don't think it really matters. So um, I've I've had a long-range bet, Ricardo, on the Roosters, and I'm going to stick
2: to that. Yeah, nice mate. Uh, good, good to see. As a, as I, 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 am I right in saying that you're a you're a long-suffering uh, North Sydney Bears fan? Um, so you got you can yeah, make yeah that's
4: right. Yep yeah it goes back goes back a long way doesn 't it but uh, yeah and, and and then I fell into the the trap of doing some work for the west tigers and and now i 'm with them, so yeah she's she 's been a tough road the last twenty or thirty years in the NRL, but uh, love it mate but there'll be some epic clashes this weekend, and um, yeah it's such an even competition it 'll be fantastic um, I think often Ricardo, you find weekends like this are better than the grand final themselves because everything's on the line to try and progress particularly for those two teams on Sunday. Yeah,
2: couldn't agree with you more, Greg. Hey, listen, mate, thanks very much. Enjoy Addington tonight. Good luck on the punt there, and uh, enjoy your weekend of the footy as well, eh? Yeah,
4: I certainly will do, Ricardo. Don't forget, the first of the grass track meetings start on Sunday as well. We'll preview uh, some winners for that meeting at Methven on Sunday on Trots Talk at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning.
2: Yeah, do that, mate. Great show. Mick Guerin, Greg O'Connor, 11 o'clock Trots Talk right here on SENZ, Sunday mornings from 11. Thanks to the great New Zealanders at Harness Racing New Zealand. When we come back, staff's going to catch up with us.